And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. You are just moments away from the latest episode of The Bridge, How Canada Works. That's the title of my new book. And today, my co-author, Mark Bulgich, is here, and we're going to talk about it. And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here. Later on today, the Finance Minister, the Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland, will be giving her fall economic statement. Much of it was already leaked yesterday, uh, but today we'll get the full details and we'll get the full response from the opposition parties and what impact that'll have first on the country's economy. And those of you who are desperate to hear some good news on the economic front, will they get it today? And we'll hear what the opposition has to say, how it impacts the political situation in the country. But that's all coming up later today, tomorrow, on Smoke, Mirrors and the Truth. Bruce Anderson and I will discuss the fallout from the economic statement. But today, um, something, (laughs) well, close to my art. My uh, fourth book comes out today. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I wrote my first book oh, more than 10 years ago. And the three since then have all been since I retired uh, from doing the national CBC. So I've had the opportunity to talk about, I guess in a way, my own kind of memoirs in one book off the record. But the other two books are really about Canada. They're not about me. They're not about the CBC. They're not about broadcasting. They're about you. They're about Canadians. Uh, and they're both co-authored with my good friend and longtime colleague, Mark Bulgich. Um, our first book together was Extraordinary Canadians, which was a national bestseller. I think it was an instant number one bestseller. And it talked about Canadians who faced various challenges in their lives and met those challenges head on. And we all learned from that. This book, How Canada Works, is different. It focuses, well, you know what? I think the best way to talk about how this book unfolds, what it focuses on and who it focuses on and why it's important, we feel, for all Canadians to recognize their part in how the country works. So how best to do that? Well, how about a conversation with my co-author, Mark Bulgich? As I said, longtime colleague uh, in the workplace. We worked together uh, at the CBC, well, since the 1980s. Um, on the National, where Mark was the lineup editor, and that's the person responsible for the order in which items unfold on the air and which items make it, how long different items um, can run. And it's a key role, and it usually eats people up. It's tough. There's a lot of pressure. Mark was there for a long time. Uh, And then he moved into producing. He eventually became the executive producer of all specials, like election nights. And the big unfolding dramas of our time. He was uh, the one in my ear as executive producer, senior producer on 9-11. So we've had a close relationship for... Uh, for many years, and um, and you know what? You know one of the parts of this program that many of you talk about how much you like? 
the end bits. Guess who comes up with those? Mark does. He sees things during the week. He sends them along to me, and they become the end bits. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about how Canada works, how this book came came to be, and uh, how we met and talked to and wrote about the people in the book. So let's get right to the conversation. Here I am with my good friend, longtime colleague, Mark Bulkich. So what I'd like to do, Mark, is to think back to when we first started talking about doing this book. And we knew that we were going to feature a couple of dozen or more people in the book. And it was as much about the people's job as it was about the person themselves. So we started, I don't know whether you remember this, we started by challenging each other to come up with a list of jobs um, that we would like to, you know, investigate in terms of the people who did them and and that. Boy, what do you remember about that, the, 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 coming up with the I list? Remember, I, I, almost, I remember most vividly what we didn't want to do first, right? We said, look, we don't want to write about like some guy who's an MP or a, or a cabinet minister. Um, I mean, the name of the book, How Canada Works, may lead a lot of people to think it's about like the the elite of Canada, how the country works as a as a country, and how we're seen in Sweden, you know, and how we play uh, we punch above our weight somehow in, in international affairs. Uh, this is not that book. If you want that book. Don't buy this one. Uh, <laughs> that's you know what we did was eliminated that right from the top. You know we went when we decided uh, that we wanted to do. I, I know we we look, keep looking for the right word, right? Ordinary Canadians, uh, uh, everyday Canadians. Uh, yeah, we don't like those terms, but we always know, end up using I, them. I know it's right, uh, but that's what we wanted, and I think both of me certainly I come from a family uh you know with a father who worked in a factory all his life you know he, he he his education ended in grade three believe it or not it was a different time mm. uh because his father died and he had to quit school to go and uh support his help support his family as a 10 year old i mean it was a different time not a better time for sure um, and so he, you know, he's, he raised a family with the money he made working in a factory. And I think the book, certainly from my point of view, and I think from yours as well, uh, wants to talk about those kinds of people who really make this country work because they work every day. They may not wake up every, every day and say, yippee, I'm going to work, but they do it. Uh, that's not to say these people in the book hate their jobs. I think that we found people who really do. Yeah, like most of them jobs. seem to, you know, really love their jobs. And, you know, when you think about it, all of these jobs, and we'll get to the kind of jobs we're talking about here in a minute, all of these jobs, it, it's hard to imagine the country working without these jobs being filled by people who love what they do and do it well. You know, I... Some people have already asked me, oh, is this going to be the counter argument to the country's broken? And I said, no, 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 no. That's not what this is. The country's broken argument is a political argument. 
and uh, you know, and and people will will make that argument, especially the politicians. And um, and I and I can I can see that argument from both sides, but that's not what this is about. The you know that argument is about, as you mentioned, you know the political leaders of the country, um, the business leaders, uh, the labor leaders, the education leader, the academics. That's their argument about whether the country is broken or not. This is not about that. This is about how the country, in fact, works through the power of, here we go again, ordinary people. Um, and so that's what I, you know, that's what I was hoping we'd achieve. And I know that's what you were hoping we'd achieve too. And to do that, we needed to find those kind of people in those kind of jobs. And so that's, you know, before we looked for the people, we had to determine the jobs. And that's what I was getting at with, you know, thinking back to those early days after Simon and Schuster had asked us to consider something. And we started thinking about this and we, we were coming up with a list and part of the list, at least on my part was, was a fascination with certain jobs. I can remember that I really wanted to do, to make sure that somewhere in there we had a, um, a high rise or an office tower uh, window washer. Because I've been fascinated by that job. Like, who would go into that? Why would you do that? I mean, I, I, I'm scared of going on an elevator, let alone hanging off the side of a building. Um, but the more I learned about the particular guy that we talked to in, in this book is in Edmonton, I realized that, you know, what they do helps make the country work. I mean, they wash windows same, you know, a, a major building will wash all their windows at least twice a year. And if they don't, the dirt builds up very quickly. And if you're working in an office tower, you will at least want to be able to look outside the window. <laughs> and if you don't wash them, you're not going to be able to see anything. So, I mean, that's just a little thing. It's a little thing, sounds small, but it's part of this mosaic of stories um, about how the country works. Now, there's lots of other. I think we, uh, uh, in my head, and I think in yours, I, I think we also thought we could put a face to some of the jobs that sometimes, in our experience, show up in the news and sometimes are heavily criticized. I mean, we, uh, I'll give you the example. We have somebody who works at the uh, parole board, and heaven knows how often they are in the news and usually because of a bad thing happening that's their fault in theory and you know this is part of the country is broken argument again um and so i thought it would be interesting to talk to somebody who is actually a person like not the parole board but here's a guy right whose job it is to make these critical decisions about whether an offender that's what they call them can be released on parole. And a lot of people in this country, and a lot of, you know, he, he tells a story actually of uh, going to a convention in the United States and talking about how parole works in Canada. And somebody stood up when it was all over and said, that's all very nice, Mr. Parole Man from Canada, 
but I didn't hear you say he ain't served enough time, <laughs> which is, you know, an argument you hear so often, even in this country, that, that is not an argument that is limited to the United States. And when and we hear that all the time when we were doing the news and you, you read it now. And so I wanted his reaction, like, what does he do about that? Because he knows that's a general feeling that kind of sits out there that we're just that we're soft on crime and that they're responsible for letting out very dangerous people onto our streets. And I kind of figured in my head, there's nobody whose job it is who gets up in the morning and says, I wonder how many dangerous people I can let loose in Canada today. Like I, I knew that wasn't going to be his story, uh, but I wanted to hear his story and how he reacted to all the criticism uh, that I knew he knew about. So I mean, that's putting a face, I think, to a faceless job, but just like your window washer job. Uh, you know, it's we, we take it for granted in many ways that there are people out there doing these things that have to be done uh, or that should be done. And yet we don't think about them very often. They, we, or we sometimes think of them as an institution, as in the parole board, or we don't think of them at all, just uh, as a window washer. And I think the book uh, in our heads is an, an an antidote to that, to that, like, stop for a minute, think about it. Like, you know, I, you, you surely know what you do for a living uh, and you may like it, you may not like it, but you know what you do. Uh, and there are lots of people in this country who contribute to just sanity, <laughs> you know, our everyday sanity. We go about things because other people are just quietly doing what they are supposed to be doing and, you know, very often thanklessly. So the book isn't a big thank you to them, but at least it should open up your eyes, as it certainly did mine, to all these people, what they do and how they do it. Uh, and and your eyes, I'm sure. I mean, and, and demystifying a lot of them, and it, it, because I think a lot of them come with uh, misunderstandings at best about how they do their jobs, or complete ignorance, which is probably more common. Uh, you're right. I mean, I, I I find myself when I read the book back. I find myself at the end of each section, and there, there, there are 28 people we profile here. Yeah. And, it, you know, sometimes it's we're profiling the job more than the person. Right. And then sometimes we're profiling the person more than the job. But I find myself at the end of each one of these segments saying, wow, you know, like the country would not work if that job and that person didn't exist. Like we need that. We you know, like. What would we do without them? Like, there's a. We have a funeral director in the, mm -hmm. in the wonderful woman from um, Scarborough, um, in sort of the Greater Toronto area. And you know, I read her story, and it, you know, it's 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 emotional. She <laughs> she talks about her admiration for first responders, and then said, you know, I'm not a first responder. I'm the last responder. Great line. And, and what's important for her is that she treats the situation she's in the same way those first responders do, you know, with care and kindness and understanding for the family uh, and all of that. Um, and you say, okay, well, like, what would we be without funeral directors? You know, you need them. You need funeral homes. You need that to be a part of how the country works. 
and you can go through that with each of the uh, the, with the 28 uh, people where you profile. Yeah, I don't think Peter in that one it's a good example of somebody who does that important job and yet if you went to a, I don't know, a grade three class and said what do you want to do when you grow up I suspect no one's picking up their hand and saying I'd like to be a funeral director and nor did she nor did she she ran away from it when they told her she had the qualities to handle yeah. that you know those tests right. you, you can do at the end of high school too where, what you would say, you be good at someone's got to do it yeah. Right. And, and she, and you know, but, and she is somebody who doesn't wake up on Monday morning and say, Oh my God, another week of this. I mean, she takes it seriously. She understands how it's important. And, and that's again, at, it, over and over in the book, I think you find people who are doing jobs that you might not want to do, but you can't not conceive of a country that doesn't have people doing these jobs. I mean, some of the jobs are important. Some aren't right. I mean, well, important, capital I important. I think every job is important because it contributes in some way to the country. But I think we also went out of our way to find people who do kind of neat jobs, yeah. uh, you know, just jobs that make our lives a little better, a little easier. I mean, the, I think in that category, I think you would put the wedding planner, for example. Right. I mean, you don't, you know, I don't think... Uh, you know, wedding planner again is not something you pick up your hand in grade three and say you want to do. Uh, but it really it contributes so much to so many lives. Just you know, because weddings, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm I'm rambling a little bit because every time I say something, something else comes into my head. So you'll forgive me. Um, with but with her and with so many of the jobs that we looked at. I think we found out something that we never even thought about, never mind right. in the job, but in the background to the job. Like it, when she talked about planning a wedding, it never occurred to me because we are of a certain age, both of us, where weddings were different. And now she says most people who are getting married are already living together. And that changes the whole dynamic of it, of how a wedding is planned, because she says sometimes, and she's, the, the wedding planner that we've done is in Newfoundland. Uh, and she says very often the people who are getting married live in Ottawa, but their families are in Newfoundland. So the wedding is in Newfoundland uh, and they're not even there to plan it. <laughs> like she plans it and they're off in Ottawa or wherever. And they're coming in just for the weekend to get married, but it has to go tickety boo, right? For the mother, the fathers, the, the uncles that are going to be there. Uh, it, and it's it's really it, it boggled my mind, uh, you know, as a person who organized federal elections, <laughs> who knows a thing or two about organizing. Uh, and so yet, there, there, there you go, folks. There's the person to blame if you don't like results on election night because he just said he organizes election yeah. campaigns. He was with yeah, the I, CBC. <laughs> so this is what uh, you know, Polyev and uh, and everybody's talking about about the CBC. He organized the elections. <laughs> No, we know what yeah. he means by that, right? Yeah, you know what I mean by that. Yes, <laughs> I organized our coverage of the election results that the Canadian people voted for. Right. Um, <laughs> and, which is obviously an organizational task. But here is the wedding planner task, right? Completely different, obviously. Uh, but again, like like the funeral director takes it seriously because it's so important to so many people, Uh and it, it just you you discover things that you never even think about in so many of the chapters for me uh and in talking to these people i said wow i didn't know that and wow i didn't know that and wow i didn't know that 
Yes. I didn't know. I didn't know that a zookeeper would never get caught inside a cage with a tiger, just him and the tiger. That I I understood. I didn't understand or didn't know that a zookeeper, at least the one we profile here, would not get caught in a cage with a male camel. I did not know that. You're going to have to buy the book and read it to find out why. (laughs) That's right. Um, You mentioned a, a moment ago, you mentioned how the wedding planner is in Newfoundland. I mentioned how the window washer is in uh, Edmonton. Um, we, we, you know, once we'd come up with the list, then we needed to find the people. And we wanted to make sure that it represented the country geographically. So we're looking all over. So talk a little bit about how we, how we found these people. Uh, well, you're quite right. Uh, after you know, finding the jobs was job one, and then finding the people was job two. And then we are careful about trying to make sure that everybody lives in Toronto or Ottawa or Montreal, but we do spread it across the country. Um, and we also want a mix of women and men. Uh, we want to represent the country in its demographies we want older younger richer poorer we want all that and in a couple of dozen stories it's hard sometimes to do that uh but we certainly have done our best um i think what i what what we did was we looked for jobs that could fit in a place so if you were gonna if you try to find someone put somebody in prince edward island for example if you work backwards right so you say okay what kind of job works in PEI that kind of makes the case for how that job is done? I mean, if you try to do a, a story and uh, base a story in PEI of a zookeeper, I'm not even sure there is a zoo in PEI. If I'm wrong, God. No, we'll hear about it pretty quickly. We'll hear about it. <laughs> but there may not be a zookeeper. There may not be a zoo in PEI. I don't know. Um, so it's hard to do a zookeeper in PEI. It's certainly hard to do, well, I. One, I know for sure they don't have in PEI that they don't have the person who runs the Canadarm in PEI, right? Okay, so we, so you can't do a, a profile of of a person who works at the Canadian Space Agency and and maneuvers Canadarm on to, uh, attached to the International Space Station. That, See, that's uh, another thing I learned, right? I I I always assumed, and you know, I've been down there and did more than a few launches, um, and. I always assumed that the Canadarm was operated by somebody on the on on the shuttle or on the International Space Station, but here we learn in the book here that the, no, that's not the way it operates. Nope, it's operated from Longueuil, Quebec, just on the south shore of Montreal. Amazing. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's amazing. Remotely, they discovered that astronauts had better things to do than maneuver the arm, so they do it remotely from the ground, and the Canadians do it because it's our arm. That's our contribution. Did so, anybody say did anybody that. say no to you to tell their um, story? I didn't. None, none of mine um, said no. Let me think. They all uh, said sort of, "Why me?" <laughs> but they got over that, that quickly. Uh, no, nobody. Oh, wait. It, they didn't say no, but they somehow. I, I had just a couple who never got back to me they said yes and we'll get to it and i you know i'd write them again or call again and then it just never happened 
for whatever reason. But nobody, I mean, again, you're right. When you deal with, like, here comes that word again, ordinary Canadians, uh, they don't think of themselves as subjects for a book, right? They just don't. I mean, right. they just don't. I mean, who's in a book? I mean, we had that, in a way, we had that problem in the first book we wrote together, Extraordinary Canadians, mm-hmm. uh, where there was a hesitation on some of their parts about the sort of why me thing. And, I, you know, my story is nothing interesting about my story. And we said, no, actually, your story is pretty interesting. And, yeah. and Canadians found that um, because the, the book was, a, you know, instant number one bestseller. And, uh, you know, it's always good to have that. Uh, when you're selling a book. Um, how this one will do will be up to those uh, out there, some of whom are listening right now, as to whether they want to uh, to read this book. But here's the other thing, and I'm going to talk about this. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about this. We, we learned from extraordinary Canadians that, that there's more, way, more ways than one to write a book like this. And uh, we learned that lesson with Extraordinary Canadians. It went very well. And we're using the same lesson on uh, how Canada works. And we'll talk about that when we come back. And welcome back. You're listening to the uh, Tuesday episode this week of The Bridge. I'm Peter Mansbridge. You're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks, or on your favorite podcast platform. Whichever way you're listening, we're glad to have you with us. Um, the guest today is Mark Bulgach, who is my co-author for How Canada Works, which was released today by Simon & Schuster. And uh, so you can, uh, as soon as this is over, you can rush out and purchase your book, or you can go online and purchase it, because it's a uh, Pretty easy to get hold of it uh, online as well. Um, Mark, I want to, uh, you know, one of the, what we did with Extraordinary Canadians, and it took a little while for us as writers to get used to it, was we used um, the people we were focusing on in that book to tell their own story. I mean, we interviewed them, and we used the same method here with How Canada Works. So we, we find the people, we interview them, And then we take their words, we transcribe the interviews, and then we put it together basically using their voice, not necessarily in the order in which they they were interviewed, but we put it together as a story that's their voice. So it it comes off like it is written by them. And in, you know, in some ways it is because it's their story told by them. We just reconstructed it a bit to, uh, to, to make it a, you know, a readable segment each time. Um, talk about the process because it, it is interesting. You don't see this very often. Um, but there are a lot of people talked on in our last book about how that made it that much more enjoyable reading the book. Yeah. It's in some ways easier uh, I would think, uh, because they give you this backbone that you have to work with. And nobody knows what they're talking about better than they know. I mean, if we were to write about window washing, it would, like I couldn't write a thing about window washing. So they supply all the information. Um, 
and but they're not storytellers necessarily and no even the best storytellers i mean i've i've interviewed a lot of storytellers and it's very hard to tell a story a b c d e everybody tells a story a l g p <laughs> and it, it rambles just like i'm probably rambling now and if you were to transcribe this interview and just put it on into a book everyone would say holy cow these guys are uh <laughs> people actually listen to this uh, and, and, but but they give us the the backbone and and they give it to us with such uh knowledge because they really do understand what they're talking about right they're not just airy fairy uh coming up with notions of things they know what they do every single day of their working lives and and they and they enrich us with that uh and once we get over the really, really, that, that's what's going on, then it really is like you look at the transcript and you think to yourself, okay, what do I remember from the interview? I mean, that's it, just before you read it even. What do I, what sticks out to me? And, and there's a thread that comes to you that you say, this is what's most interesting because, again, the, like I, I think of the dairy farmer. Uh, like I learned, like I'm a city boy. I like I, I freely admit, like I know almost zero about farming. I just don't, and certainly dairy farming, nothing. Uh, and so everything he told me was big news, mm-hmm. uh, and I found it so interesting. And I think most of the people who will read the book aren't dairy farmers, clearly. And so I'm, I'm thinking, how do I make what he told me? Because some of it, obviously, he is inside baseball or inside dairy farming in this case. Uh, and, and so you try to figure out what he said that's interesting to people like me. If it's interesting to me, presumably it's going to be interesting to other people who aren't into dairy farming as they're living. Like I had no idea. Here we go. Give something away. Cows milk themselves now in this country. I had no idea. I mean, maybe it's me because I'm a city boy, but I, you know, I kind of understood how we had come from hand milking. I, I had gotten past that and I knew there was automatic milking machines, but I had zero idea that cows literally now milk themselves. And again, I won't explain it. You can buy the book if you're kind of saying, what's he talking about? That crazy city boy. He thinks cows milk themselves. Well, they do. Uh, <laughs> and I had no idea, right? I had zero idea. And so that's interesting to me. And I figure it's got to be interesting to everybody else. And so that becomes like the thread of the of of his story. Like what what I didn't know, what I didn't know about wedding planning, what I didn't know about being a principal in a in a high school of uh, in a, in a, in a fairly economically deprived area of this country. We have him in the book. Uh, you know, what I know about running a shopping mall, nothing, right? Uh, I know how to shop in a shopping mall, but I don't know how to run a shopping mall. And so we have a manager of a shopping mall. Uh, and so I just take the things that are interesting to me and and try to make a story of it that will interest other people like me who I think are out there because like me, They've never thought about, yeah, I can go into that mall and everything seems to work tickety-boo. How come? <laughs> it's because of this guy. You know, that, that, that it's kind of the way we 
we learned our profession over all those years um, in newsrooms in different parts of the country. When I was out west, you were in you know in Quebec, and then we were together in Toronto. Um, but when you were when you do an interview or you do any kind of a story, you're looking for that like that one element that can really you can build around. Um, your farmer and and the way cows milk themselves. Sure, Mark. Sure, they do. Um, the uh, you know I I had one in uh, talking with the the chief of the Neskintanga First Nation in Northern Ontario, and that First Nation is fairly well known because it's had uh, it, it's one of those um, First Nations that has a bad water supply, and they haven't had uh, pure clean water in more than a quarter of a century, which seems like unbelievable to think of in, in Canada, but they haven't. And there, there have been millions of dollars spent trying to fix it, but they still don't have it. Anyway, everything that has shaped his life was built around something that happened when he was 10 years old. Uh, and, and I won't say what it is, but everything, when he told me the story, I said, I, we got to build his story around that moment and take it to where we are now. Um, and so, you know, that that's one of the things we try to do as storytellers. Everybody has their own uh, methodology on these things. And, uh, you know, if you if you look hard enough, you'll be able to tell which ones of these stories that Mark has written and which ones I've written. But um, they're all, you know, they're all really interesting. And, you know, what do you think... What do you think people will take away from this book when they've read all these stories? Because, they, they, you know, they're not linked together. They're all individual stories. It's like basically 28 chapters. Um, and, you know, with, with I think you'll find interesting stories in all of them, but they're more than just interesting. What, are they, what do you walk away with having read this book? Well, you know, I think both of us, have come to love this country to uh, we, we've had an extraordinary privilege life at CBC to be able to travel this country as much as we did. I mean, I think, you know, well, you certainly are probably in the top 50 of people who have seen every part of this country. Uh, I've been every province and territory, uh, which again, I, I, I It'd be interesting to know how many Canadians can say, I've been to every province and territory. Like, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's low, I'm sure. And people should understand, when Mark tells you that story, he's not talking about travels that were, you know, by the CBC on the on the public purse, so to speak. Mark and um, his wife, Rhonda, decided that from the, 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 when their first children were born, that they were going to take their kids across the country see every part and that's what they did each summer they went you know they went to each province each region of the country and uh you know and saw it all that way so there was a commitment on his part beyond the job <laughs> to to see the country and to learn about the country sorry it, i interrupted you thank you um but having seen the country i i, I sometimes think the country i've seen with my own eyes is so different from the the country that is in the news, um, which is hard for me to say since we we yeah. were responsible in so many ways for what 
Canadians see of themselves or other Canadians. And, you know, I think on like I've lived in Ontario now for, I guess, 40 years or so and in Quebec before that. And you, you kind of sometimes think of Western Canadians as different from us. And yet when you go out to Calgary or you go out to Edmonton, you go out to Vancouver, seem just like me. <laughs> they seem just as proud to be Canadians. Uh, they don't hate Ontarians. Uh, people I know and my neighbors here never keep thinking about Alberta as somehow defined by the oil and gas industry. They're just people. And and that's what the book is. It's It says that Canadians are just get are just doing what they're supposed to do. You know, we all wake up in the morning, we try to do the best we can. If you if we can enjoy what we're doing and make money at the same time, great. That's kind of what you should be trying to do. Um and here we have them, right? These are just salt of the earth. I mean, again, I I'm looking for the non-cliched way to say these are ordinary people. Um but they are like uh, the I'll, I'll go back to what we talked about PEI, we have some from PEI. He's a priest because we thought, you know, I, we figured, well, that's got to be pretty much the same everywhere, right? And PEI has churches and Calgary has churches. And, and so let's put the priest, let's find a priest in PEI. And as I, and, and, and talking to him and the story that emerges from him is here's a guy who has a, Difficult job, like just like the funeral director, it seems to me, but have a difficult job dealing with families who are in terrible distress. And he deals with funerals, weddings, baptisms, all that. And and, and what came across in in talking to him, and I hope comes across in the in the in the book, is not his doubt about God, but the, his doubt about himself. Is he up to the challenge of of trying to keep people? Uh, within their faith, and not just faith in God, but in faith in humanity and faith in life. Uh, and, and is he up to it? Like that's, again, it's pretty profound uh, when you think about it. it, it, it so it, if, if you ask me, and you did ask me, what do what I hope people take away from it? Uh, I hope they understand that this country is built on some very fine people uh, who aren't political in the political sense, um, and, and we know again from our political experience that you know, as journalists that most people don't pay attention to all the, the raucous and the noise and the, the yelling and the screaming in the uh, political arena until there's an election and then they might pay attention in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so the country just goes along uh, just fine, thank you very much, without somebody screaming that the country is broken. Uh, without somebody trying to say we have your back all the time, uh, it just it it gets along, and, and we are this what I think of as a terrific country because it is built on the work of these kinds of people who you know who may not say it out loud that they love this country, but they contribute to this country in a in a very meaningful way, even if their job doesn't seem to make headlines ever but we need them as you said you know we can't live without them and they go about doing their job in a in, in a way that is unrewarded other than monetarily perhaps and they get some job satisfaction but you know does anybody ever come and pat somebody on the back because they stack the groceries well at you know at the uh, supermarket 
No, nobody comes and pats them on the back. It's unusual. I mean, every once in a while, like I'm not a big person who does this. My wife does this more than I do. We went to a, a hockey banquet on Friday and the food was really good. The service was really good. You know, it was a big hall. It wasn't the restaurant. It was a catering hall, I guess, a banquet hall. And she called them on Monday. And the lady who answered the phone is the wife. Well, I guess this couple owns the thing. And she said, yes, this way, just because she was starting to compliment them rather than complain. Mm. And and the wife said, hold on, hold on. I have to get my husband to hear this because we never get calls no. from people with a compliment. All we ever get are the food was cold, the food was this, the food was that, the noisy, this. It's so nice to have somebody call when they appreciate what we did. Well, we don't do that enough, obviously. And I, I know guilty as charged. I know I don't do it enough. My wife is one of the ones who does it. Uh, but that's what the book is. It's a pat on the back, not just to the 28 people in the book. I hope people see it as a pat on the back to people who just do what they're supposed to do and we all benefit from it. And that's, ladies and gentlemen, is how in Canada works. Um, 28 people, and, and, and we should underline the fact, we're not trying to say these are the 28 jobs that make Canada work. Nothing else counts. They're just the 28 that, that we started with, you know, and, uh, and, and, and we're glad we did. Um, but there are many others who are similar to this, different jobs, different places, different people, uh, but they too make the country work. Mark, thank you uh, for doing this and uh, we'll see how the book sells. I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll well, do I well. I guess it won't sell as many books as you have downloads. Is that right? I don't think expect <laughs> Well, if it does sell as many books as we have downloads, then you and I can, can <laughs> go on a, 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 a cruise for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yes. All right. You take care. We'll okay. talk again talk soon. soon. Thanks, Mark. You bet. Bye-bye. Mark Bulgich, co-author of How Canada Works. Pleasure to... Uh, work with Mark all these years and to continue working with him. How Canada Works can be uh, purchased at your local bookstore as of today. Today is day one of the sale of How Canada Works. You can also purchase it online. Uh, and uh, hope you ha hope you have an opportunity uh, to take a glimpse because I think what you'll see when you read this book is in many cases you're going to see yourself through the eyes of these Really quite fascinating uh, Canadians who help the country work. Um, all right, enough uh, enough for the self-promotion for today, uh, but uh, glad to have the opportunity to do it. Many of you, in fact, had written and asked uh, for me to talk about the book before you uh, rushed out to buy it, which you're, you've probably already rushed out the door now, and you're probably not hearing this last bit, and there's an end bit here. I like this story because... In one way, it shows the power of complaining. And in another way, it shows the absurdity of complaining in some cases. So here's the story. comes out of Britain. The headline in the mirror is church bells that have rung every hour for 200 years silenced after one noise complaint. Bradley Jolly is a news reporter for The Mirror, and this is uh, what Bradley wrote. 
just the other day. A Killjoy council has silenced a church bell which sounded every hour, every hour, for more than 200 years after one complaint about noise. Beath Parish Church in Ayrshire, we're talking Scotland here, won't gong around the clock anymore as the resident said their sleep had been disturbed. Now Church of Scotland has stopped the bell between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. But more than 900 people have signed a petition to restore the chimes to 24 hours as they say the bells represent Beath's history and heritage. Brian McWilliams, who has lived next door to the church for 23 years, started the petition as he believes the tradition is ingrained in our community for generations. North Ayrshire Council asked the Church of Scotland to consider silencing the bell overnight after one noise complaint. The church's Kirk session said members were emphatic and recognized it could be disturbing for some people. A spokesperson said the Kirk session took environmental health suggestions on board, embracing the Bible teaching of love thy neighbor as thyself. Mr. McWilliams, speaking to the BBC, said, The chiming clock is just a timekeeper. It serves as an audible connection to our history and heritage and has been chiming for 200 years. Built in 1810, the Beath Parish Church has been an important part of the town's history. Church archivist Tom Hart said there were previous discussions about the bell in the 1990s. However, the 24-hour tradition continued. North Ayrshire Council said that the church was advised that when assessing for nuisance, environmental health inspectors would consider the fact that the noise was for long-established cultural or religious reasons. Really? One complaint ends a 200-year tradition. I don't think that'll last. I think that'll be back. But we'll see. All right. Tomorrow, Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth will get out the uh, fall economic statement, which will be released later today by the uh, finance minister. Thursday, it's your turn. So if you have thoughts, letters, send them in to the Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. The Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com. Want to hear more about the book? Go to thepetermansbridge.com. That's my website. You'll see the book there and a little bit more about it, although I think we've told you enough today. You can make your judgments on that. And visit and support your local bookstore, no matter which book you buy. Of course, this one is the one you really want. <laughs> All right. Um, Thursday, your turn, so get those cards and letters in. The Random Ranter as well. Friday is... Good talk with Chantelle Bear and Bruce Anderson. That's it for this day. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you again in, uh, well, 24 hours. Mm-hmm.